as we celebrate this Palm Sunday, we realize that, uh, yes, there was a lot of celebration on that Palm Sunday, but the week didn't end like that. It ended with you suffering on a cross for our behalf, to, for the forgiveness of our sin. And then next Sunday morning, we get to celebrate the greatest part of the story, your glorious resurrection. Lord, we just give you all praise and glory today. We pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And it would be acceptable worship today, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, let me give you uh, just a... Uh, oh, no. We're going we're gonna to do baptism first. And then we're going to talk more. Well, let me begin from baptismal waters by introducing you to Nova Lee Fox. And Nova Lee, look at all these contemporaries and children in here to witness a baptism. Why? Because it's the gospel made visible. It's the symbol of what has happened in Nova Lee's life. She has put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and she stands here to confess that before you and the Lord and through baptismal waters to the community of faith here at First Baptist Ozark. Uh, Nova Lee, you got family here? Stand up. Look at there. Amen. All right. Y'all remain standing while we... Nova Lee, upon your profession of faith, trusting Jesus as your Lord, in obedience to our Lord's great commission, it's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. This is Dan Kingsbury. Dan came to me a few weeks ago and said, Pastor, uh, I know I'm saved, been saved for years, but I really feel like uh, I, was, I need to get my baptism on the right side of my salvation. Amen? That's what we like to say. And so I am so thankful for uh, men who want to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So Dan, in confessing the Lord Jesus Christ through baptismal waters, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> Most of you, many of you knew that I was going to travel to North Augusta, South Carolina to be with my friend Chris, uh, who has renal cell carcinoma. He has cancer. And... Uh, 
Jason's going to pan, and you wave at Chris because he's watching this on video, okay? You know you've prayed for him, okay? Wave at Chris. Go ahead, congregation. All right, praise the Lord. All right. But in visiting North Augusta, you, of course, are uh, overcome with a lot of emotion with a friend like Chris. But also you see the providential hand of God at work in, in any trip. So I'm sitting in uh, Chris and Lee's home, and Lee begins to uh, convey to me a testimony of a young guy who had recently trusted Christ. And this is way over 12 and a half hours from here in North Augusta. And as she talked, I, I was thinking, what did you just say? And it was coming back to my mind. I'm thinking, what in, th this sounds like Jason. I just met with him in my office on Monday, and the more she talked, I'm like, do you realize I'm baptizing him on Sunday morning at our church? And just to hear that testimony, just, I was one big goosebump thinking about it. And so we're going to fill in the gaps for you one day, Jason will, as he stands and gives his own personal testimony. But Jason, come on in. We're, we're going to have that particular, this is his brother-in-law, Ethan, and he is giving this testimony in North Augusta, South Carolina on WAFJ. Let's listen to this. Thank you so much for listening to 88.3 WAFJ. I'm Ethan Milburn. Can I tell you an awesome God story? My brother-in-law, Jason, he grew up in a pretty rough life. An abusive father who was never there. He was raised by his mom, has two brothers, joined the Air Force, got married, got divorced, had been through a lot. And he met my sister, Olivia. They started dating very soon after. They became pregnant with my nephew, Jackson. Now they got married and he's been an amazing father and a great husband to my sister. And I'll admit, at first, when we saw him walk up, big guy, tattoos, gauges in his ears, my mom, I remember her saying, your sister knows how to pick him, doesn't she? We were all a little skeptical. And we knew that Jason didn't know Jesus. And so we prayed. Every year we prayed for Jason. We prayed for him to come to know Jesus. He had beliefs that were way off from what the Bible tells us. And year after year, we kept praying. Friday, March 18th, right before fundraiser, my mom tells me, son, I've got breast cancer. And my heart breaks. And, I, and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, why? You know, why, God? Please, you know, heal my mom. Take the cancer away. But then my sister Olivia, who's been invested in her church, rededicating her life to Jesus, she was going to tell her Bible study group about mom's diagnosis, and she invited Jason to come with her. And he came with her, and a pastor there took him to the side and started preaching and teaching from the Word of God. Jason had a lot of questions, and thankfully this preacher had a lot of answers. Jason prayed that night, and he started to feel something change in his heart. And then Monday, he's driving home from work, and there's a billboard back in Springfield on Highway 65 as you're heading to Ozark. It's for this play in Branson called Jesus, and it depicts a hand reaching down 
and another hand coming up out of the water. It's the story of when Peter walked in the water with Jesus and had doubt and started to sink. Jesus reached out, grabbed him, and brought him up. And in this moment, when Jason was driving down Highway 65 and he saw that sign and he said the name of Jesus out loud, he began to pray. And he accepted Jesus into his heart. You know, I, I think about how awesome our God is. And whenever I first heard about my mom's cancer diagnosis, and I kept asking why, why God? Well, he was answering our prayers. He answered in a way that was unexpected, but it was the way that he intended. And I thank God for answering this prayer. Hallelujah. Jason Sharp, upon your profession of faith, confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege, my brother, to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism. Raised to walk in unison of life. Uh. Hold a second. Well, go ahead. Uh. On Monday, Jason and I talked about specific verses of Scripture that... God has providentially used, even though Jason didn't know they were in the Bible. And one is 1 Peter 3, 1, about a wife who loves their husband. And without a word, they may win them by their chaste conduct. Amen. Miss Olivia, praise the Lord for you. Amen. And uh, Chad Link, pouring into him in Sunday school. And Jason telling me that he said to you many times, Olivia, did you tell the preacher I was coming to church? Because he's preaching right to me. Just praise God for his work uh, in this. And uh, to God be the glory. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper today. And, uh, and let me just say this. I, you, you saw our pastor get choked up. I, I've been crying ever since two minutes into rehearsal this morning. There's something special about today. And so, for those of us who are believers, we're preparing our hearts for the Lord's Supper. But our prayer is, if you're not a believer, God is preparing your heart today to accept Him in salvation. Amen. And let's just pray that that will, will happen today. Let's sing together, Jesus Messiah. Oh, 
Messiah didn't just become Lord of all on this holy week, right? He was Lord of all from the beginning of, it, of, of time. The prophet Isaiah, or prophet Zechariah, tells us of the shed blood of Jesus 550 years before it happened. Let's read it together. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Amen. Way, way, way before the birth of Jesus, prophets were foretelling that His blood would flow for our sins. Amen? We could be so, so very thankful. Let's use this song to give Him thanks.
We're not singing right now, but we're still worshiping because we're, we're giving. And Lord, we pray that you would receive our gifts as just a beautiful offering.
that will further your kingdom and exalt your great name. And uh, Lord, we pray that we would be cheerful givers and, and generous in our, in our act of giving today. Lord, we just thank you for the offering today. We ask your blessing upon it. In Christ's name we pray. We've got one uh, closing song to before, not closing, but before Brother Philip comes to, to share with us. And just let the words of this just wash over you and over you and over you and prepare your heart for what's about to happen.
right, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, and guess what? Yes, we're in Ephesians, chapter 5, as we approach the Lord's table. You know that this is what we call Palm Sunday, and there is a reason for that. It is a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. Brother David has already rightly given you one, but Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Was that not fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ? We have Mark's, we have Matthew 21, 5. We have Mark 11, and we have John chapter 12. But listen to Zechariah's words in verse 16 of chapter 9. On that day the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown they shall shine on his hand, on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Isn't that awesome? A reminder of what the Lord Jesus Christ would do for us. Why Palm Sunday? Because John tells us that upon Jesus telling his disciples to go fetch that donkey and bring it to them. Remember the conversation? If they ask you why you need the donkey, say, well, the Lord told, told you to tell them I needed it, right? The king of glory who made the donkey, right? And so he rides it into Jerusalem, and the Bible says they were waving palm branches and singing Hosanna. The Lord saves Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Folks, do you know that you will never, ever outgrow the cross? We need to hear the gospel of the cross of Christ over and over and over again. Not only does it have the power, the gospel to save sinners, but Christians need to hear the gospel and the preaching of the cross. I join the aged apostle Peter when he writes, 1 Peter, when he says... I stir up your minds by way of remembrance. That's what I want to do this morning. Stir up your mind by the way of remembrance before we partake of the Lord's table. Several years ago, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of Christ, did actually accomplish something. Y'all remember that? Boy, I'm telling you, uh, he got persecuted left and right. Now, he comes from a Catholic persuasion. And regardless of what you feel about the particular presentation in the movie which he was majoring more on the physicality of it because of their theology and Catholicism. Regardless, never had the story, the truth of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ been placarded before the world like it was when it was in the movie theater. And what did it do? It forced people to reckon with the question, why did Christ actually die? And in one verse, we're going to have this morning, there are five truths regarding the atonement of Christ. Now listen, you have to scour the scripture literally from Genesis to Revelation to find all the answers of why Christ died, right? It's multifaceted to think about the redemptive drama, the beginning of Holy Week on Sunday, and all the prophecies of the Old Testament pointing to Christ's death. So I tell you that to say... This is one verse, but there are at least five truths that come out of this that 
uh, are so good for us to listen to today before we partake of the Lord's table. And they're great truths for us to uh, stand back in wonder and love and praise to our God as we approach the Lord's table. Listen to the scripture. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Why can we do that? Because you've been adopted into God's family. Ephesians 1.5. Ephesians 4.24, because you've been made new. That's why you can walk and be imitators of God because of that. Okay, here's the verse for today. And walk in love as Christ loved us. And hear this. Atonement, five truths. And gave himself. Folks, the world moves on prepositions. Don't miss them. Gave himself up for us. Huper. Up for us. How? A fragrant offering. Notice the prepositions. And a sacrifice to God. Fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Listen to these before we take, partake of the Lord's table. First, Christ is the one who gave. He is the offeror. He himself is the offerer. He, the Bible tells us, is our great high priest. Make no mistake about it. John 3.16 For in this manner God loved the world. And we're thinking of the divine trinity. That in this manner in this manner God loved the world that he gave. So never forget that certainly the father gave the son. But also don't forget that no one takes his life from him. He lays it down willingly. Jesus voluntarily left the confines of heaven. The Bible reminds us in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes my life from me, but I freely, willingly lay it down. In the kenosis passage, we call it, which is Philippians 2, 5 through 11, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. We call that the humiliation text. Well, you know what the culmination of that humiliation text actually is? That he became obedient, even to death. And here it is, death on the cross. He humbled himself. So, the Lord Jesus Christ fulfills that role of our priest. He's the one giving the offering. He's the offerer. Let me show you a text. Hebrews chapter 9. If you can't get there fast enough, just listen. Chapter 9, listen to verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So he's referring to all those sacrifices of the Old Testament. But then he says in verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. Listen to this. On our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly... As the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages. That word all has to do with time. Ionia, time, once for all, at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So this is how we need to think of Jesus. He makes or brings an offering. And God gave us centuries of the priesthood 
to point us all to Jesus. And the Last Supper is a demonstration of the fact that he is about to make an offering. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for you. So the bread and the cup foreshadows what he would fulfill the very next day. Again, in Hebrews, the Bible says clearly in chapter 1, verse 3, listen. He is the radiance. Who is the he? It's Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds all things, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, you understand, he's the offerer. He's the great high priest. After making purification for sins, he sat down. What what does that say? Well, no priest could ever go in and sit down. But Jesus accomplished redemption forever with one single offering and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the Lord Jesus Christ makes purification for sins because he is the offerer. He is the great high priest. Second truth, Jesus is also the offering. He's the offerer. He's the high priest. Notice he gave himself as an offering. Do you see it in Ephesians 5 2? The offering is what the priest actually brought to God on behalf of the people. But here the offering is Christ himself. Do you see it? Here he is the offering. He brings his whole life of obedience, culminating in his death to the Father as an offering. The Bible says the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Here the priest is also the offering, and he is offering himself. What do you know about the Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood? Every priest that came had to actually have his own sins atoned for before he could go in. Why? Because he was a sinner, just like all of us. But that's not true for the Son of God. It's not true for him. All of the Old Testament priests had to make an offering for themselves before they could make the offering. They had to be cleansed. But this lamb, this son, was the perfect lamb of God who was sinless and undefiled. The sacrifice that was brought was to atone for the sins of the people. So we have here sacrifice and substitution. He was sacrificed in the most holy place on our behalf. Listen again to Hebrews 7. Verse 26, listen how clear this is. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He's not only the the great high priest and the offerer, he himself is the offering. Truth number three, Christ offers himself on our behalf. I can't stress this enough to you. This is language, folks, of substitution. This is language that Christ is substituting himself in the stead of others. The very cornerstone of the gospel itself is the vicarious, substitutionary, sin-bearing death of the very Son of God. Did you hear that? I must Again, the cornerstone of the gospel is the vicarious, substitutionary sin-bearing death of the Son of God. You know, we call the gospel good news, don't we? Without substitution, it's not good news. Did you know there are many, many theories of the atonement? The ransom of God theory. And then 
You have all these other theories of just the moral example that Jesus set forth, that he would morally show an example that he would die and give his life. Folks, neither one of those are good news. That's not good news at all. The only part that makes it good news is that it was substitutionary. He's dying in, he's not dying as a moral example. He's not dying, dying to pay a ransom to Satan. Those things, are, those things are bogus and not true. A good Hebrew word for those theories is baloney. Right? So if Jesus died simply to give man a good moral example, it's not good news. If he merely got caught up in the wheels of fate and ends up being crucified as a messianic figure, that's not good news. There must be the element of substitution. He, he was vicariously bearing our sin. He was vicariously becoming a curse, according to Galatians. He was vicariously becoming a wrath bearer. The wrath that you deserved, Jesus took upon himself. That's why Paul uses this expression with the prepositional phrase, on our behalf. That is substitutionary atonement. In the words of 1 Peter 3.18, it was the just, always remember this, it was the just in the place of the unjust that he might bring you to God. It was the righteous one in the place of an unrighteous one. And that's true for Jason Sharp. But it's also true for everybody in this room. You understand that all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. It took as much grace to save someone who grew up in a home with believers as it does to save somebody who was totally down and out. Why? Because we're all sinners separated from God. And God had to be to sacrifice himself and substitute the just for the unjust in order to bring you to God. Without substitution, there would be no salvation. Period. No salvation apart from it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, he made him that knew no sin to become sin, so that the righteous requirement of the law, or so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. He's the high priest. He's the offerer. He's actually the offering. And he died substitutionarily in your place. Number four, the fourth truth is that Christ offers himself to God. Do you see it? A fragrant offering and sacrifice, important preposition, to God. I want to remind you today that God is the offended party. God is the offended party. One of the most popular sermons ever preached was preached by Jonathan Edwards. And it was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. They say that as he gave that manuscript and preached the word with passion that people were literally gripping onto the pews, feeling like they were falling into hell. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. In jest, somewhat, tongue-in-cheek, R.C. Sproul said that in the 20th century version of that sermon would be God is in the hands of angry sinners. Folks, we forgot about who the offended party is. We forgot about who the offended party is. God is the offended party and we are the offenders. He's the holy one whose person has been insulted and whose law has been violated. Folks, we need to get back to letting God be God. We need to get back to focusing on the holiness of God. 
and the justice of God. We must not shrink back from talking about the wrath of God and the justice of God. Look, folks, the cross makes no sense without God's wrath and justice. There's no validity whatsoever. But because God is absolutely holy, and He is a God of wrath, and He is a God of justice, it demanded that the Son of God take our place on Calvary. Wow. Apart from the wrath and justice of God, the cross makes no sense at all. When we read these words that he gave himself to God, please remember that God is the offended party. The holy God in heaven needed to accept you, not the other way around. I mean, it's almost like we're begging people, please accept Jesus. Folks, understand something. It's God who accepts you on the basis of who Christ Jesus is. It is God who does this. Glorious grace, glorious grace that God would accept us. Don't forget as well that the Father is the one who gives up His Son. It was an offering to God, but it was from God. It was the Father who sent forth the Son. And the Son who willingly embraced the mission so that He would be the willing payment to pay that debt that He Himself required. Are you getting this? That is what makes grace grace. God never negotiates on the requirements of the law, and he never negotiates on his justice. His requirements are inviolable and immutable. He will not budge on his requirements, but, God, but to God be the glory. Do you know what he does? God pays the penalty for what he requires of us. What was Jesus doing on the cross? Hear this. God in Christ was saving us from himself. That's the glory of the gospel. That God himself on the cross was saving us from himself. Glory to God for grace. God pays the penalty that is required of us. We are saved by God. From God. Christ finally gave himself as a fragrant offering. When a whole burnt offering was made, there was a response on Yahweh's part. And that is that the aroma of the whole burnt offering was pleasing. That's what the metaphorical language means of fragrant offering. God accepted that. Sacrifice on the behalf of his people. This language denotes perfection in that offering. And the reception of the offering. It was an offering without blemish. And it was therefore pleasing to God. It was an acceptable obedience. Rendered by Christ himself. What could be more fragrant than his own son taking on human flesh. Living a sinless perfected life. And he did all of that on behalf of his people. Don't ever forget that cog of the gospel that Jesus lived the life that you could never live. Therefore, he could lay his life down as a penalty, as a payment. So God's justice is satisfied, as the old song says, to look on him, Jesus, and pardon you. Amen? Five beautiful truths about Jesus' death. And tying this all together for us in our Ephesians study, when we walk in Christ, when we walk in Christ's love, we are a pleasing aroma to the Father. As a matter of fact, we can never be pleasing to Him unless His Son's love is flowing through us. That's the key. Fragrant offering. Fragrant offering giving, given for us, but to God. So as we approach the Lord's Supper table today, don't forget that we have a perfect high priest, priest who offered a perfect sacrifice, who obtained for us a perfect redemption. Listen to Hebrews one more time. If you didn't turn to any of the other ones and you have your scripture and you're good at Bible drill, chapter 10, verse 14. 
Let this resonate with you as you partake of the Lord's Supper table here in a few moments. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Aren't you thankful for the offering of Christ? These are tangible symbols that we hold in our hands. The bread and the cup is God's picture book for us. And folks, it's pretty simple, isn't it? He tells us here that we have a priest. Here's his body and here is his blood. Symbolically, right? You're holding them in your hand tangibly. Why does God do this? Because he wants to stir up your mind so that you remember, right? God's justice has been satisfied through that body and that blood. And you have been reconciled to God because of it. So God tells us in this very simple picture book that we call the Lord's table, that we are beautiful in his sight, gems in his land, as we just read in Zechariah, not because we're great people, but because we have a great Savior. Amen? There's nothing we can do to add to the pleasing, fragrant aroma called the cross of Christ. People in our land, in our day, they want to do everything they can to dumb down what was really going on on the cross. But let me tell you something, folks. This particular cross event was a pleasing sacrifice and aroma to the God of heaven. That's what the Bible says. So as you hold these symbols in your hand, rest in the truth that it conveys to us. And that's this. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Let's pray. Father, what great truths. You're the great high priest. You are the offerer. You made the offering. You died in our place as our substitute. It was to God. You gave us what you required, Lord God, by giving us your son. Lord Jesus, you did what was required to God. And you did it as a pleasing offering. The Father is satisfied to look upon us sinners and pardon us because of Jesus. Let us not forget, as we partake of the Lord's table, what you did for us. Father, we've heard an amazing testimony of the grace of God saving sinners today. And we've seen the gospel made visible through baptismal waters. But Lord, now we have the Lord's table in front of us. Lord, which reminds us symbolically of your body and your blood. That brought satisfaction and reconciliation wherein we could be saved. Lord... The invitation to someone or anyone in this room is to believe the gospel. Repent and believe. Repent and believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. During this invitation time, Lord God, Lord, would you speak to a heart? Would you draw them into yourself, the flock that you came to save? Lord, would you do it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going to have a hymn of invitation before we partake of the Lord's Supper. And Brother Dave is going to come. May you respond to the Lord. Remember the promise.
promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. So we share in this bread of life, and we drink of our sacrifice as a sign of our bond of peace around the table of the King. The body of our Savior Jesus Christ torn for you. He had remembered the wounds that healed the death and Jesus' life paid the price to make us one. So we share, so we share in this bread of life and we drink of the sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the King. As our men come forward, let me remind you of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. All right, Brother Phil Mendenhall is going to lead us in our prayer before we distribute the bread. Before he prays, a reminder that we believe that believers partake of the Lord's Supper. So that's the invitation to you. If, you know, if you're a visitor and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been saved, then you are welcome uh, to partake of the Lord's Supper. And just that reminder. And for us believers, there is uh, a self-diagnosis that needs to take place according to 1 Corinthians 11. And that we are to examine ourselves before we partake of it. Amen. You know what the scripture teaches about that. So uh, let's, Brother Phil, let's pray and we'll distribute the bread. And as the song says, as you take and eat, remember. Remember. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we are just so grateful for what we've heard. A reminder that you are the sacrifice, Father, the fragrant offering to your Father, bearing the wrath that we deserved. We were unworthy sinners, Lord. You did this while we were still enemies. Father, that's just a glorious thought that you would do such a thing. And then we thank you, Father, as well as we take the bread. We remember in John 6 where you remind us, you told the people that you are the bread of life. They were seeking for it in just regular old bread, Father, when they had the living bread right before them. I thank you for those who have seen this, Father, and have come to you, and, and we thank you for that. We pray that we would continue to remember what you've done through us. Not, not just forget about it, but to remember it always. We need the gospel always. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
eat and remember. Amen. The Bible says that he also took the cup, and after he had given thanks for both, bread and the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood that was poured out for many. Brother Lane, let's pray together. Almighty Father, as we come before you to observe this ordinance of yours, uh, Father, may our hearts and our, our affections uh, be focused heavenward, God, as we just remember your work on the cross, Father, as we focus on the blood, um, the perfect blood, the uh, powerful blood, God, this um, single offering, God, that we as redeemed have been perfected for all time, God, it is just overwhelming, Father, to think of uh, the punishment that you took on our behalf upon that cross, and God, through that blood, we have the hope of salvation and the promise of heaven, and God, as we um, partake of this cup now, Father, may we remember your work on the cross. And God, may this act of worship bring you honor and glory. And Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
song you heard Miss Ava playing. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. He would give his only son to make a ransom for us. Right? That one line I was thinking of. How could I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. How deep the Father's love for us. Drink and remember. To God be the glory. Amen. Miss Ava, we appreciate you. I've told her that she's going to play that when I die and go to glory. Amen. <laughs> what an awesome thing. Thank you so much for playing that for us. Well, this is Passion Week. This is Holy Week, and I hope that you will think about it. There's a song that the Baptist Home has adopted for this week, and I'm going to go speak Friday on the end part of it, but it's glorious day. Living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. It's not the end of the story. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. To God be the glory. Brother David. Well, Scripture records after Jesus led them in the Last Supper that they sang a hymn before they went into the Garden of Gethsemane, right? So let's stand together. Let's sing this together. Jesus Messiah. Jesus Messiah. 